Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Today we will continue on with our ongoing fixed income conversation. Joining us for that conversation, glad to welcome back both Alina Gallant as well as Barry McAlinden. Alina is a senior credit strategist for the Americas. Barry McAlinden is a senior fixed income strategist for the Americas, both with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So Alina, Barry, great to be with you both again. Thank you for dropping by. Looking forward to the conversation. Thanks, Dan. Thanks so much for having us. Absolutely. I know we will be focusing on the most recent fixed income strategist publication, a monthly piece from your team at the Chief Investment Office. So, Alina, I know the title of this month's edition was Resistant, Not Immune. So what issues did you consider when addressing this question from the perspective of the high-yield bond market? What's interesting about the current environment and high-yield is that yields are at very wide levels. The high yield index is yielding 9.5%, and that's up from 4.3% in the beginning of the year. And this is only the fourth time that the index has been at these wide levels since the global financial crisis. Now, despite this wide yield, the move in the high yield market can actually be described as rather orderly. And this resilience is best observed through spreads. So the spreads in high yield have been anchored around 500 basis points since July of this year, and this is despite the overall market volatility. The spread today is 95 basis points below the June peak, and it's below the long-term average. Now, there are several factors that have been supporting high yield spreads. We actually believe that these factors will dissipate over the next few months, allowing high-yield spreads to potentially move wider from here. So this is why we called the FIS resistant, not immune. So let me tell you about um, one of these major technicals. And what that is, is the net issuance. New issuance volume this year is down 80% from last year. So when combining the bonds that have matured, been called, or tendered, the net issuance is actually negative. It's negative $33 billion. Additionally, this was a huge year of rising stars. We had over $80 billion of debt that has been upgraded from the high-yield market to the investment-grade market, and that is the debt that is basically leaving the index. So as a result of the negative net issuance, and all the rising stars, the high-yield index has actually shrunk this year by close to $120 billion. Now, we have had outflows. We have about $50 billion of outflows year-to-date, but it is considerably smaller than the contraction of the index. So this technical helped keep spreads orderly. Now, we do think that going forward, the rising stars will subside, And we expect new issuance to rise as well because companies have a larger maturity schedule in 23 than they did in 2022. So with this technical weakening, we think spreads can go wider. And this is particularly true if the economy continues to weaken and the false rise in the high yield market. Well, Alina, thank you for that context from a high-yield perspective. Barry, to welcome you into the conversation, how did you address this question from the perspective of the investment-grade bond market? Yeah, so for investment-grade issuers with credit ratings of triple B and above, would you think they exhibit some resistant attributes as well? I think first we have to consider that 
about a quarter of the investment grade index is comprised of global banks and about 12% large U.S. banks. And here the balance sheets and capital positions of the banking system and, and U.S. banks um, in particular are extremely strong. And in fact, um, many investors may not realize, but the capital requirements for the U.S. GSIBs, the globally systemically important banks, is actually once again set to increase over the next um, two quarters, uh, with banks needing to hold more in common equity tier one. And that comes from the Fed's uh, stress testing that they do on an annual basis. They did last back in June. So the fact that the the banks are in sound um, capital positions, I think, bodes well for the economic challenges ahead. And in terms of non-financials, what's made them resilient is that fundamentals are still generally intact. And by that, we mean that interest coverage ratios are strong because companies were able to take advantage of low refinancing costs, you know, last year when rates were much lower. And leverage isn't overly excessive given that not too much time has passed since companies reinforced their balance sheets during the pandemic. But similar to high yield, we don't think that investment grade issuers will be immune from the the challenges ahead, you know, first, just from a a credit um, rating perspective, we think that credit rating actions have likely peaked. You know, we did have um, more upgrades than downgrades that actually reached a quarterly peak um, back in the first quarter of this year, according to Moody's data. We do expect that that pace to, to slow down. And then fundamentally, you know, we do think that earnings are set to decline uh, next year, and that'll strain some of the credit metrics that these issuers uh, demonstrate now. So we think that fundamentally, you know, we're past uh, the peak and we'll see some deterioration. And then finally on valuation, um, some similarities to high yield where we do think credit spreads and investment grade still are, are vulnerable to, to widen further, especially if you look historically where they stand um, just north of about 160 basis points. They usually don't stay at this level. In fact, uh, history shows that they, they often go, go wider, sometimes beyond 200 basis points um, after they reach these levels. We do think that's possible the months ahead. But uh, when it comes to, um, to valuation, one thing that is different in investment grade is that we are at the year-to-date wides uh, in investment grade. And um, in terms of yields, you know, we're also seeing yields that are really more reminiscent of what investors were used to before the financial crisis. So we're close to 6% for investment grade. Um, you know, so, so overall, uh, we do think that investment grade does have some solid attributes right now, even though you know, we don't think everything is immune to the fundamental challenges. But where yields are and where spreads are relatively to high yield, um, you know, look a little bit more appealing to us in here. So with that all in mind, maybe we can spend the second half of our conversation digging in a bit to positioning recommendations within your respective areas. Perhaps, Alina, beginning with you with respect to high yield, what areas do you currently recommend within? Um, Yes, sure, Dan. Um, So I think maybe I'll start that question by saying what areas we do not recommend. And we think that the lower quality companies will have the most difficulty in withstanding this environment. And that is because the lower quality names still already higher levered and they're having difficulty in gaining access to the capital markets to the extent that they need to come in and refinance their debt 
or need any other sort of financing. So we think that the most vulnerable part of the high-yield market is really those lower quality, you know, maybe smaller, you know, kind of higher levered companies. So that is the part of the market that we definitely recommend avoiding in here. Now, for investors that do want to uh, enter the high-yield market and to, you know, pick up some of this yield, we recommend that investors look for the higher quality companies. So that would mean double Bs and maybe some high quality single Bs. We also think that it makes sense to look at companies in the more defensive sectors. So let me give you an example. Many of the energy companies are continuing to do very well. And so there may be spots that investors can still enter in, in the energy sector um, that exhibits you know, a little bit more of those defensive characteristics. There are also some sectors that are still recovering from COVID, and those are continuing to benefit from this COVID recovery, and so those may continue to do well as well or to do better than you know, some other of the more cyclical sectors of the economy. Thank you, Alina. And then, Barry, from your vantage point within investment grade, what are you currently recommending at this time? At this time, if you think about the different maturities across the investment grade curve that span all the way from one years, even beyond 30 years, the yield pickup, or most of the yield that you obtain is actually uh, on the short end of the curve. So, for example, one to three-year corporates yield about 5.6% currently, three to five-year corporates 5.9%, five to seven-year corporates 6.1%, and really we're that level is maintained even further out the curve beyond 10 years. So investors don't need need to take excessive duration risk in order to obtain these high levels of yield. And one way of thinking about this that we often look at is a metric, uh, the concept of total return break-even, which is how much higher would yields have to rise before your total return, um, you know, becomes uh, zero. So the price loss would offset the coupon that that you're getting. And for the short end, in one- to three-year corporates, that total return break-even is actually 311 basis points, so yields would have to rise by that amount beyond where they currently are in order for investors to start to um, obtain a total return loss. And, you know, we think that's, that's quite unlikely um, in, in the uh, environment ahead. So we do think that the, the short end of the curve is very attractive, you know, from a, a risk-reward perspective. And then on credit ratings... If you consider that uh, the investment grade market is comprised primarily of uh, both, you know, triple B issuers, but, but as well as single A issuers, uh, so we often look at the relative value between the two, and the credit spread differential currently is about 66 basis points. That's only about the 55th percentile uh, over a longer historical period. So I do think that that could widen out again um, as we enter a more fundamentally challenged macro environment. And therefore, we see greater value right now in single A's over triple B's, um, given that we think that spread can widen. And then from a sector point of view, we do think that more cyclical sectors within investment grade will likely underperform more defensively oriented ones uh, ahead. But this really encapsulates a total return approach in terms of the underperformance that we'd expect. I think for hold to maturity investors who look to, let's say, latter individual bond positions, I think sticking with strong credit issuers uh, or bond managers, you know, will, will be most important more so than the, the credit uh, uh, sector decision. 
so in summary, though, um, you know, despite the fact that, that credit has been relatively resilient um, this year uh, as it relates to, to credit risk, um, you know, most of the pressure has, has stemmed from interest rates. Um, but, but from this credit risk standpoint, uh, you know, we, we do think that uh, both investment grade and high yield, you know, is not immune to stresses ahead that we think will bias spreads uh, a bit wider, you know, and play out through just the, the traditional types of channels where you see weaker fundamentals and greater differentiation occur, uh, you know, within these different credit sectors. Well, Barry and Alina, very productive conversation today. Thank you for dropping by top of the morning to share with our listeners, our clients, your current thinking and guidance with respect to positioning. Again, I do want to point our listeners, our clients to UBS.com forward slash CIO. There you can locate a copy of the latest fixed income strategist publication, which Alina and Barry have been referencing on today's segment. Again, that title resistant, not immune. For clients of UBS, of course, reach out to your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of the publication directly. Though, again, Alina Berry, thank you for dropping by. Great catching up with you today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dan. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the global wealth management business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.